are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the New Testament book of Luke. Here's Nate. Well, here in Luke chapter 12, uh, Jesus here is preparing his disciples for the era of the church. You know, ministry where he would not be with them physically, but would be with them uh, by the power of his Holy Spirit. One of the things that the church, the disciples needed to gain was a healthy perspective concerning the financial realm and God's provision for their lives. If they were worried about money, then everything would be slowed down and the church would not be able to accelerate as it needed to. They needed to learn how to trust the Lord in every element of their lives. And so Jesus said to them in verse 22, and of course we can't forget the backdrop that launched into this, where earlier in the chapter a young man came to him and said, "Teacher, tell my brother to invite to divide the inheritance uh, with me." And Jesus gave a parable rebuking really that man and warned concerning the tendency towards covetousness, but here He now says to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Here, Jesus gives the exhortation. It's very simple. Don't worry. Don't be anxious about your life. Uh, what you're going to eat, and don't be anxious about your body, what you are going to put on. Don't let these be the things that consume your mind. You obviously are going to give thought to your life. You're going to give thought to what you'll wear uh, and thought to what you're going to eat, but don't be anxious about them. Don't be concerned about them. God's provision uh, will be there for you. Do not be worried about them. Now, I like to think of it like this. I think that Jesus could have just said amen and walked away and the disciples would have been left to sort of wonder, well, how do we do that? How can we cease from anxiety about the pressures of life and the pressures of the body, the pressures of meeting our daily needs? Jesus then will continue now after that exhortation to cease from anxiety about these affairs He'll now move into speaking to them to help them to overcome that anxiety. And I think that he speaks to the mind first and gives perspectives that are helpful to overcome that anxiety. But then beyond just perspectives, and and probably the more uncomfortable portion of the text is later, where Jesus gives us things for our hands to do, something for our minds and hearts to believe and receive, but something for our hands to actually uh, do to help us overcome the anxiety that we would often have concerning our basic provision and necessities. The reality, before I move forward, The reality is that here in this life, uh, this is the one opportunity that we have to walk by faith, of course. We know that for all of eternity, we'll be walking by sight as we look upon the Lord, those of us who are saved and and, uh, born again. But the reality is that right here in the here and now, we have an opportunity to walk by faith. And one of the greatest ways 
for us to learn how to walk by faith is in the financial realm. In fact, if we're not able to walk by faith in the financial realm, where in the world else will we be able to walk by faith? So Jesus then, in verse 23, gives something for the mind. He says, life is more than food and the body more than clothing. There's more to life. There's more to the body, Jesus said. This is an important and helpful truth for us to receive to overcome anxiety concerning financial pressures. Just to understand, first of all, and primarily, you know, there's a whole lot more to life than just the physical realm. You know, obviously, we want to overcome the materialistic tendencies of the world and the covetous practices of the world. But beyond that, I think we also want to realize that there is just so much more to life than those things, than those elements. There's more to life than possessions. There's more to life than ease. There's more to life than financial security. There's much more to life. There's more to life than food and more to the body uh, than clothing. Uh, recently, I was backing up all of our family photos, and I just noticed that I, I don't take a lot of pictures over the years, I haven't, of possessions and belongings and certainly not money. What I take possessions of are the people and the places and the events in life that are important to me. Life is so much more than, than food, and the body is more than clothing. The Bible teaches that we're made in the image of God, not that God has a body. Jesus said that God is spirit. But what God does is give us bodies so that we can, like him, love and care and listen and speak and see and act justly and show compassion. He gives us bodies to be able to do these things. Life is more than food, the body more than clothing. So to have that perspective in the mind, I think is so helpful to us to overcome some of the daily strain that we might experience when it comes to uh, finances. You come face to face with some of the limitations, maybe some of the things that you're not able to do as a result of your lack of finances or a shortage in finances. But at the end of the day, can you still have friendships? At the end of the day, can you still be married? Can you still have children? Can you still have that camaraderie? Can you still go on a family walk at the nighttime? Can you still do these things? And uh, so much of life has no connection at all to the financial uh, realm. Now, in verse 24, he goes on, because that's not the only thing we need for our minds. He says in verse 24, he says, Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barns, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Now, Jesus points out the birds first. He says, consider them. I don't think that he's saying, consider how they don't farm, they don't reap a harvest, they don't store in barns. Notice that and stop doing that. I don't think Jesus is saying that we need to put our minds to the side, our brains to the side, and cease to work, cease to be strategic and thoughtful. I think in one sense, we might say that he's saying, look, these little birds, they are fed just fine, and you've got an intellect and ability and barns and, and farms, uh, you're going to be just fine. But the real thing that Jesus is saying is, of how much more value are you than the birds? God is feeding the birds, 
you're more valuable to God than the birds. And then he goes on in verse 25 and says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies. And so now we have Jesus not only saying to consider the birds, but also the lilies, the basic flowers of the field. Uh, He says, notice how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? The question that Jesus asks in both situations, the birds and the lilies, is how much more? Of how much more value are you? And how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? What Jesus is trying to do for these disciples is to help them consider the ability of God, the power of God, and the love of God over their lives. That God cares more for them than he does for the birds. That he cares more for them than the grass of the field. And that God, if he can do these things and and has that heart of love, to understand and to, to appreciate the ability, the strength, and the power of God is helpful to a disciple when it comes to wrestling with the financial realm. I always love the psalm, Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of our Lord. And to believe that God himself is involved in the provision of the believer, I think is an important thing to admit and to confess that, yes, God is thinking about my life. God is active within uh, my life. And the truth of the matter, I think, is that one of the most exhilarating experiences of the Christian life is when you have an opportunity to watch God beautifully and wonderfully provide for your life. There's just a refreshment that occurs with that. There's just a power that occurs when God takes care of you in a way that perhaps seems very natural but maybe to you feels very supernatural. It's just such an encouraging thing uh, for God to work in that kind of way. I know each time that I've seen the Lord, and so often I have no idea that God is providing for my life. I'm just, I'm not, I'm unconscious of it. Uh, But the times that I've been conscious of it, it's just so incredibly sweet to know of the hand of God personally working inside your life. I, I remember when Christina and I, got engaged and we really had no money at our disposal to put on a really nice wedding where we could invite friends and family and have a big party and celebration and have a meal and dancing. I really wanted to do that. I felt that it was an important uh, thing to be able to offer, to be able to do. And, uh, but there's just no money, no, no uh, money that we were able to access. Our parents weren't able to help at that time in their lives. And uh, one night I went and dropped Christina off at her apartment. And as she got out of my car and checked her mail, she got this anonymous money order that paid for about half 
of our wedding. It was just an incredible thing for us to be able to experience. We hadn't told anybody that that's what we were going through and uh, that that was what we were facing, but God had laid it upon someone's heart and it was just a great blessing uh, in our lives. And we appreciated it uh, so much. And we just really felt that God himself was watching over us. And it really strengthened our faith in a lot of ways in the financial realm. Now, not only is Jesus elevating the ability of God, but he's also trying to lower uh, our perception of our own ability, isn't he? That's why in the middle of that little paragraph, he said, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his life? It's good for us to know that our ability is very limited. Uh, We only have so much that we can do, only so much that we can uh, offer. And so uh, Jesus here, he's saying, listen, you can't even add a little bit of time to your life. uh, So you need to trust me. Uh, We can work, we can farm, we can toil, but in the end, There are so many things we cannot control. We must, as disciples, trust the Lord. Then he says in verse 29, another thing for our minds, he says, And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek these things. And your Father knows that you need them. Uh, He's saying, look, there's something different about you. All the nations of the world, if you visit them, travel to them, they all have similar concerns. People are worried about their food and drink. They're wondering what they're going to wear, how they're going to survive, how they're going to live. You're not going to find cultures that are not concerned about those basic necessities of life. He says all the nations of the world seek after these things. They are worried about what to eat and what to drink. They're worried about their basic necessities. Paul goes so far as to say in Philippians 3 that they actually worship their belly. They set their minds on earthly things. Our citizenship, though, is different, Paul said. In Philippians 3.20, he said our citizenship is in heaven. That was important for the Philippian church to consider because they lived in Philippi, a Roman colony. It was a privilege for them to be able to live there. They could act as if they were citizens of Rome. You would have great pride being from Philippi. But Paul tells a bunch of Philippians, no, your citizenship is in heaven. That's what we are. That's who we are. Jesus is saying, you're to act differently because your father knows the things that you need. And so to understand that he is watching out over us. It's good for a believer. It's good for a disciple to consider their relationship with God, to consider the love of God, the view of God over your life, the value that God puts upon you, the compassion, the mercy, the gentleness, the interest that he has in your life, and to remember that, to consider your relationship with him. Now, in verse 31, Jesus goes on and says, instead, instead, instead. That is an important word to the whole flow, because now we're going to see what can be done with our hands. We've learned some things for the mind, but what can be done with our hands? And this is where the text gets perhaps even more challenging 
We want to embrace the philosophies that Jesus gave to us, the truth that Jesus gave to us. But we also want to do the things that Jesus told us that we should do. Here he says, instead. I love that word because so often the thing that we try to do is to refrain from worry. Have you ever tried to refrain from worry? <laughs> it's a very difficult uh, task to embark on. I, it, the, the only time that it works is when the reason that you're worried goes away <laughs> for the most part. You know, you can't just refrain from worry. What do you have to do? Jesus said instead. In other words, you can't refrain. You have to replace. You have to replace your worry. Sometimes we simply replace our worry as Christians by having a spot of prayer. Amen. We go to the Lord. We spend time in his presence. We pour out our our worries, our concerns, our anxieties before him. And what is replaced? Well, the peace of Christ, the peace of God, an understanding of his love for us, his power, his authority. There's got to be an instead. You can't just refrain. You must replace. And the thing that Jesus said, specifically here, that ought to replace anxiety concerning the kingdom is this. Seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you, Jesus said. To seek means to be concerned about, to pursue, to consider. In other words, it's almost as if you get a new worry. I was worried about my own thing, my own life, my own provision, my own sustenance. But now I'm not going to worry about that because now I'm worried about the kingdom. I'm thinking about the church. I want the success of the body of Christ. I want to see people come to know him. I want to see the eternal kingdom of God built up as much as possible. I want to see souls saved, churches planted, missionaries sent, nations delivered. I want to see those things. And I'm not just saying that I want to see them, but I'm going to seek them. I'm going to make it the pursuit of my life to... Get after the kingdom of God. Jesus says, when you do, these things will be added to you. So a little bit of a conditional promise there from the Lord, the provision of the Lord coming to those who are seeking his kingdom. And I would encourage you, perhaps you're not yet a kingdom person, jump in. Jump into the kingdom of God. Jump into the church, the body of Christ. Get yourself invested in the body of Christ. Seek first his kingdom. Now in verse 32, Jesus goes on and he says, fear not little flock. You know, it's true that God's people usually are a little flock. Here he says to them, fear not little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You know, as they went out, there would be many reasons for fear that would perhaps come across Uh, their hearts. Jesus comforts them, though, with a future reality. You know, when you're experiencing all that fear, Jesus would say, I want you to remember something. I want you to remember that the Father, well, it's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. To give you the kingdom. This is a hint, of course, at their future and ours as well. Now, this is helpful to us because In the text, if you're thinking about it, there's a little bit of a dilemma, isn't there? What do we do 
with impoverished Christians who die in poverty or sometimes even because of their poverty. What, what do we say to them? Are we to say at all times, well, you should have sought first the kingdom and then these things would have been added unto you. No, isn't it true that there are times where there are good and righteous and godly brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the ages who die in poverty? Well, what would they say? I think that they would say, but the Father gave us the kingdom. And in giving us the kingdom, he gave us all of the food that we could ever need. He gave us all of the clothing with these new bodies of ours that we could ever need. God has given us the kingdom. God has provided for us well as we sought first his kingdom. Isn't that a beautiful reality? I think it's just good for us to know and just good for us to remember that here on earth, this is the only time that you and I will ever experience financial difficulty. For all of eternity, we will be provided for so well in the sight of God. Now, in verse 33, the text gets probably its uh, most intense to its most intense point, uh, likely the most uncomfortable verse of all of them, but it's beautiful. Let's think about it together. He says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. So Jesus here tells them to sell their stuff, give to the needy. And then he tells them, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, treasures in the heavens that do not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. That's a helpful thing, of course, for us to remember the reality that everything in this life is is like a plucked flower. You pluck it and death is immediately uh, coming. Decay is coming. And all of the new and sparkly, beautiful things that we would acquire in this life, they just immediately fade the second that we acquire them. Uh, And so Jesus is saying, what you want to do is you want to save and invest in heaven, uh, in money bags that do not grow old. Thieves cannot get to it. Moth cannot destroy it. It's untouchable. This speaks of a line of generosity, a life of generosity that leads to the saving of souls and helps the kingdom of God, the church of Christ, advance and, and move forward. That's an eternal investment. You're providing yourself with money bags that do not grow old when you invest in the kingdom of God. Those are concepts that I think we can embrace. But the challenge, of course, is in verse 33, the first half, when Jesus says to sell your possessions and give to the needy. Uh, That probably is a more challenging word for uh, many of us. Now, the question that I have is, how did they apply this in the New Testament uh, era? During Jesus's ministry, it seems as if Uh, His whole itinerant lifestyle actually depended on some people not doing this completely. Uh, You had the women, you had others who would give and express generosity and taking care of the Lord and his disciples. So obviously these were people who did not give everything away, uh, but instead they were financially backing uh, the work of the Lord. 
Now, when the church launched and many believers gave their lives to the Lord there in Jerusalem, and the church was pretty much just in one location in Jerusalem and had not expanded, during that era, uh, they really did this in a very direct kind of way. Many people sold everything that they had, gave it to the general fund, and they lived communally and uh, were supporting one another as they lived their lives together. A little bit later in the book of Acts, though, there seems to be a shift. The gospel starts going to other cities and other countries, and the church seems to financially invest in the missionary expansion of the kingdom, of, of the message of the gospel. And then also from time to time, they would send financial aid to hurting churches. And then finally, when you read the epistles and you just start reading about the local church life, you read that they financially supported gospel workers and gospel work, both inside their church and outside of their local church assembly. Uh, They gave gifts to hurting believers from time to time. They had a limited support of widows. They had practical care for orphans. There was lots of generosity involved. They collected their gifts and donations on Sundays. So uh, it seems to have uh, sort of formalized over time. That said, Jesus here simply says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. I think it's good for us to think about the things that we do not need that we might be able to help those who do have a legitimate need. And so Jesus here is saying, you want to be set free from anxiety? Here's one thing you do. You give it away. When you give away your possessions and you give away your money, uh, it loses its power over you. That really is what happens because you kind of realize like, well, look, I gave it away and I'm still fine. I'm still provided for. And so to sell and to give and to store up treasure in the heavens, a beautiful uh, life. Now we close our text today in verse 34, when Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is a powerful statement from the Lord. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be be also. You see, so often we think that our heart is the lead on things. That wherever my heart is and whatever my heart is for, then I'm going to put my treasure there. I'll put my time and my money into whatever I'm into, whatever my heart is into. But Jesus said, no, that's not the way it works. Whatever you put your time into, whatever you put your treasure into, Your heart is the caboose, not the engine, and it will eventually go in that direction. So, you know, if a man invests financially in, uh, you know, entertainment and sports and all of that, well, you know, that will be his thing that he's interested in. His heart will be there. But if you invest in the kingdom, you invest in the body of Christ, uh, you invest in, uh, you know, the expansion of the gospel. You invest in that financially, but you also invest in that with your time. Well, you know, your heart is eventually going to go in that direction. Uh, 
We often want a passion for God and a passion for his kingdom. Well, what treasure are we putting in that direction? Where your treasure is, Jesus said, there will your heart be also. It's a beautiful secret of life in so many ways. And so it behooves us, of course, to put our treasure uh, in the right place. I think that, you know, you boil it all down, treasure really comes down to your calendar and your bank statement. And so to put your time and your money in the places that you want your heart to eventually go. And this is Jesus, of course, urging us to invest in the kingdom of God. What a beautiful way to be set free from anxiety concerning money. God bless you and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings, or to contact us, please visit us at nateoldridge.com.